Welcome to the April 5th Sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, and the sermon is entitled, The Love of the Lamb, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We are grateful to be together in God's house this morning on this Palm Sunday. Uh, and as we come together, this is one, for me, one of the most somber days of the church year. As we think about the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we think about the week of suffering that brings him to the cross, his final week of teaching, his meeting with his disciples to institute the Lord's Supper, and facing all that he did prior to going to the cross. And so as we gather here on this Palm Sunday, we are grateful to be together in God's house. My prayer is that there are hundreds upon hundreds joining us this morning and perhaps in days ahead as we worship together. Thank you for being with us. And as Pastor Jeffrey said, if you could just send us a little note where you are. Last week we had notes from those in Oregon and Florida and Michigan, all over the United States worshiping with us. What a, a blessing that is to Clifford Baptist Church that you're joining us. We're grateful you're with us today. Palm Sunday. We center our minds and our hearts on the passion and the death of Jesus Christ coming by way of the old rugged cross. And as we think about this overwhelming gift of love that comes to us through God Almighty, a supreme love, remembering that the event of the cross did not catch God by surprise. The cross was not thrust upon Jesus Christ in such a way that he did not expect it to come. Death was not a fate that was forced on Jesus. He did not go to the cross confused about what was happening. He was not surprised that the hearts of his own family, the nation of Israel, turned against him on that day of the cross and called for his crucifixion. None of those events caught him by surprise. He knew it was all going to happen long before the sad spectacle of the cross. And as it played out on earth, Jesus knew it was coming. Jesus knew all about it. Scripture teaches us in the first chapter of the Gospel of John that when everything was created, Jesus was there. Nothing was created outside of his presence. And in the very creation, it was the plan of God laid down that he would give his life for us. In the very blueprint of creation, God knew he would die for us. I want you to listen to the words, write this reference down, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says this, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The cross, Jesus' death there, is the supreme act of love that you and I might be able to come to him this morning, that we might be able to worship him in the freedom of our homes, in the freedom of our lives given to him. The plan of the cross was in place before God spoke the words, let there be light. The cross was already in the blueprint of creation. On this Palm Sunday, I want to lead you in a Bible study, and I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. As we turn there, I remind you that even for the most elementary of Bible students, you know that our Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament 
and the New Testament. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And basically, the dividing line between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the manger of Bethlehem. When Jesus came, taking on flesh to be born among us, to be our Savior. There's the dividing line between the Old Testament and the New. The Old Testament is life under God's law, and the New Testament is life under God's grace as Jesus Christ comes to be with us. Now, from the beginning of the Bible, we know that human beings have sinned. From the very creation of God in Adam and Eve, they fell into sin. God's first created humans lived without sin for, I believe, a very brief time. But they fell into rebellion, they fell into disobedience when they ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They rebelled against God in eating that fruit. God gave them one prohibition in all of the expanse of the Garden of Eden. They could have anything, they could go anywhere. Everything was at peace, the weather was perfect, the vegetation was perfect. But there was only one denial made to them. Do not eat the fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they fell into sin. And from the very beginning of Adam and Eve, God has needed to forgive us. So in our Bible study today, how did people of the Old Testament day ask God to forgive them? Before Jesus came to the manger of Bethlehem, before he went to the cross and rose from the grave, how did those in the Old Testament ask God to forgive them? The answer is very simple. They asked God to forgive them by sacrificing an animal. They shed the blood of a sheep or a goat or a bull or a lamb, and they symbolically punished that animal in order to ask atonement of their own sin. They laid their sin on the animal, laid down the life of that animal, asking God to forgive them. The animal then was a substitution for themselves. And it was a constant process in the Old Testament. If you're a, stu a student of the Old Testament, you know this is true. When Israel sinned, they would sacrifice an animal asking for forgiveness. When they sinned another time, they would sacrifice an animal asking forgiveness. And over and over in the history of the Old Testament, millions of animals were sacrificed as the people of God asked forgiveness. Sin again, sacrifice again. Over and over it would go. Annually, on the high holy day of Passover, lambs were slaughtered all over the nation of Israel, but particularly in the temple, one Passover lamb was slaughtered, asking God to give his mercy to the people of Israel. And all of the sin was laid upon that Passover lamb, and that lamb's blood was shed as Israel asked for God to forgive them of their sin. Well, as we open the Bible to Hebrews chapter 10 today, the Word of God addresses how imperfect and how insufficient that animal sacrifice system was. So look with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to begin with verses 1 through 4. Keep your Bible open. We'll go on to, to verse 10 a little bit later. But listen to these words. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. 
But in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made of sins every year. Verse 4 is very important. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. It is not possible that an animal sacrifice could take away our sins. So year after year, people sacrificed animals begging for forgiveness, but Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says, it was never possible for the shed blood of a goat or a bull to actually be able to atone for the sin of those who expressed rebellion against God. It could not be done through an animal. The sacrifice was a symbol, but the sin was never completely overcome by the shed blood of a bull or a goat. Forgiveness was never truly accomplished by an animal sacrifice, but we see it attempted throughout the Old Testament. But then God brings a new day. God brings a new covenant, a new testament. It's not based on the blood of an animal, be it a lamb or a bull or a goat. It's based on the shed blood of God's only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the final, perfect, effective Lamb of God. The last sacrifice that was ever needed was the shed blood of that Lamb, the very Son of God. Do you remember... As Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he says in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. I've read that verse hundreds of times. I've used that verse and we'll use it again today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But I want you to notice the new covenant in my blood, not the blood of a sheep or a goat, but Jesus himself says, the covenant comes from my blood, which is shed for you, poured out for you. So in other words, Jesus himself, as he institutes the Lord's Supper, is saying, an animal will not die for you. I will. I will take your place. I will take your punishment. I will shed my blood that you might truly be forgiven. So Jesus comes to us as the final lamb. He comes to us as the final sacrifice. I want you to remember the first time that John the Baptist sees Jesus. And you remember that they were cousins. And John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He preached repentance, but he was preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come. And the first time John the Baptist sees Jesus is in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. And he says this, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. What an amazing statement. No other lamb, no other sacrifice could take away sin. Jesus Christ is the Lamb. Revelation chapter 5. The old disciple John describes seeing Jesus in heaven. Write this reference down. Revelation 5, we're going to look at verse 6, and then verses 11 and 12. Listen to these words. As John sees into the throne room of heaven, he says this, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Seven, of course, is the number of perfection. Jesus is the perfect blemishless lamb and son of God. Now go to verse 11. 
And John continues saying, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Praise God on this Palm Sunday. We together say, Worthy is the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who shed His blood and who was slain that we might have life everlasting. On this Palm Sunday, we praise Him. We honor Him. We worship Him. He alone is the final Lamb. He alone is the final sacrifice. Next week on Easter Sunday, we are going to praise God as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But before there is a resurrection, there has to be a death. On this Palm Sunday, we recognize that Jesus the Lamb went to the cross and literally died for us. His perfect blood was spilled there to offer permanent and eternal payment for the awful price of our sin. Permanent payment. There will never have to be another sacrifice made because Jesus paid the price. No other animal will ever have to be sacrificed because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Amen? Do you agree with that? Praise God to collectively as the church, wherever we are in Amherst or Nelson County or in another state or even in another country, we praise God and we say amen that he is the final lamb of God. Now, I do want you to understand this from the Old Testament day. People were saved in the Old Testament day. People did come to God, and they came to God in the same way that we come to God in the New Testament day, and that is we come by personal faith. We come by personal trust, just as with Abraham in the Old Testament. He followed God in faith. He followed God in trust, and Abraham was a saved saint of God because he followed God Almighty in trust. We will worship with thousands upon thousands of Old Testament saints when we get to heaven because Jesus paid the price for them as well in a future day on the old rugged cross. We know as we sing that glorious hymn together that his death on the cross pays the final price for Adam and Eve on through to the last human being who will be born on this earth. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches over his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. All of our salvation and the forgiveness of every sinner from Adam and Eve through the last human being is through Jesus Christ going to the cross as the Lamb to shed his blood for us. Well, let's go on to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. Hear these words. Wherefore, when he, of course meaning Jesus, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. 
underline verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. All of us are sanctified when we come to our God in faith through Christ. We're sanctified. We're proclaimed holy. We're proclaimed forgiven. We're given eternal life because Jesus died on the cross once for all. He will never have to die on the cross again. And today, you'll notice behind me, the cross is empty. He died there. He has risen from the grave. We know that today we're grateful that Jesus died for us once for all. No man took Jesus' life. The Roman emperor Pilate did not take Jesus' life. The Roman soldiers who mounted him to the cross did not take Jesus' life. He gave his life. He surrendered his life so that you and I might be forgiven. Let me give you a beautiful picture from the Old Testament of what Jesus did. Exodus 21, if you want to write this reference down, Exodus 21, we have a description of an Israelite slave. In Exodus 21, we see that a male slave could be purchased in Israel to be a slave or a servant in a household for a period of time. However, Upon the purchase of that slave, he is going to be a servant in a home for six years. And Scripture teaches us in Exodus 21 that on the seventh year, that slave that was purchased is to be freed. If he came into that six years of slavery as a single man, he would then leave slavery on the seventh year as a single man, as a freed man, but continuing to be single. If he came into this moment of slavery for six years, he could bring a wife with him. And on the seventh year, when he was freed, he could take his wife along with him. But if that slave got married during the six years of his servanthood, during the six years of his slavery, when the seventh year came, he was free to go. He could be freed from the household. But... He would have to leave his wife and any children born to him in that six-year period. He could go free, but he would have to leave them behind in slavery. He could not take his family with him. When he was freed, he would leave his family behind to remain in slavery to that household. He could walk away a free man, but his family could not. But that slave had an option, and I want you to hear these words. Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6. Scripture says this, If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then the master shall bring him into the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall serve him forever. So rather than walk away in freedom, that slave would choose to stay with his master and stay with his wife and stay with his children. He would give up his freedom in order to stay with the ones he loves. And as a symbol of that commitment, Scripture says that the master would take him to a door or to a post of a door and would pierce his ear through with an awl so that that hole in his ear would be the constant reminder that he gave up his freedom so that he would remain in slavery, but he would stay with his family for the rest of his life. 
as a sign, as a symbol of his commitment, he was pierced. That's a beautiful picture of Jesus. That's a, a picture from the Old Testament that describes precisely what Jesus did for us. Jesus, at the manger, took on human flesh. And he lived some 33 years on this earth. And he loved us. And he taught us. And he walked with us. And he fed us. He performed miracles among us. He even raised some from the dead serving us for some 33 years in the flesh. But when he faced the cross, Jesus himself had to make a decision. He could have gone to the cross and died for our sins, or Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could have decided to walk away from the cross and walk away from us and not bear its punishment. Jesus could have said, that cross is too hard. That cross is too painful. I'm just going back to glory. I'm going to leave everybody here, and I'm going back to glory. I've done good here in leading people to know how God loves them. I've led people in miracles. I've led people in healings. But I'm not going to assume the cross. I'm not going to go through that pain. I'm going back to glory. He could have walked away in complete and painless freedom, going back and leaving this earth behind. And without the cross, Jesus walking away from us, he would have gone away in freedom. But he would have forever have left us in slavery to sin. And there would be no other recourse for us to be forgiven. So in Exodus chapter 21, it says that the slave's ear was pierced when he stayed with his family. What a fitting picture it's a minor picture, but what a fitting picture of what Jesus did for us because the Gospels tell us that Jesus was pierced as well. He was pierced with a crown of thorns. He was pierced with spikes through his hands and through his feet on the cross. He was pierced as a lance went through his side to prove his death as he hung on the cross. He was pierced because he would not leave us behind. He went through the torture and the agony and the pain of the old rugged cross. He went through the piercings to say that he loves us and that he would not leave us behind as slaves to sin. The cross is God's greatest statement of agape, sacrificial love for you, for me, and Jesus giving himself there. There's an old story about a man who was married... And he had not for years told his wife that he loved her. And so she confronted him one day and said, Why have you never said you love me? He said, The day we got married, I said I love you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Well, there's a truth in that. Sometimes I believe that we treat the Lord the same way. We tell him on the day that we're baptized. We tell him on the day that we're saved, Lord, I love you. I want you as my Savior. But how often do we say it now in our daily lives, living day to day and all the stresses and strains that we go through? How often do we say, Lord, I love you? I believe that the lifeblood of every marriage is the repeated phrase over and over from the heart to your spouse, I love you. I'm grateful God put us together. I love you. 
And I believe that's a statement that we should make every day to our spouse. And I believe I love you is a statement that we should make every day to our Lord and to our Savior. Every time you think of the cross, every time you see an image of the cross, be it on your finger or on a necklace around your neck or somewhere posted in the church or out on the grounds, every time you see the cross, God is saying to you and to me, I love you. That's why the cross continues to stand. It is his statement of love. He was pierced for us because he would not leave us behind in slavery to sin, but rather forgiving us. He loves us. And every time I see the cross, I think of those words, I love you. But the question today that I ask this congregation, as large as we are today, is how often do you say to him, I love you? Today is our opportunity to say to our Lord, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. As we take the Lord's Supper together, it's our opportunity today, believers, wherever you are, to say, Lord, I love you. And I thank you that you went to the cross for me. Thank you that, that you did not leave us here and you went back to heaven in freedom and you sidestepped the cross because it was so painful. Thank you that you went through the sacrifice of the cross because you loved me so much. And today, Lord, is my opportunity to tell you I love you. I thank you that you're my Savior. I thank you that you're my Lord. I thank you that you walk with me day by day. There's nothing that I go through that you're not holding my hand, that you're not by my side. Today's our opportunity. And today, if you are here and you've never given your heart to him, will you give him the greatest gift you have to give to the Savior and the Lord your heart, saying, Lord, I believe that you did go to the cross for me, for me personally. So often we can look at the cross and say, Jesus died for the world on the old rugged cross. Yes, he did. But as he died, I believe with God's mind and God's sensibility, he knew you and I were coming. And he knew that you and I would need his forgiveness. And so your life and my life, your heart and my heart, resided on the heart of Jesus. He personally died for you. He personally died to say, I love you, and I will not leave you. Today, will you become a believer and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I believe you died to say, you love me. And today, Lord, is my opportunity to give you my heart, to give you my life, to accept you as my Savior, and say for the first time from the bottom of my heart, Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you that I belong to you. And I thank you that you will never leave me, but you will keep me for all eternity as your son or your daughter. This is your moment to simply say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior, and I love you. Praise God for Palm Sunday. It's a somber day that we remember the death of Christ on the cross. But we're so grateful. We know he died that we might be forgiven and that we might belong to him. May we pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for this precious morning that we share together. Thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity today to say I love you as we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But just prior to that, Father, as we sing a hymn, Lord, I pray that you will bless we who are believers to take this opportunity to prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper and to say intimately and truly and sincerely, Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for loving me. But if there is one who has never received you, Lord, 
They may be in this county. They may be in another state. They may be in another nation. But today, Lord, that man, that woman, that boy, that girl can say, Lord Jesus, I love you, and I want you as my Savior. May souls be saved in this special moment, I pray. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you went to the cross for every single one of us, and it is in the Savior and the Lamb's name we pray. Amen. My brothers, Clyde and Jeffrey, are joining me here as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. As you get your cup and your bread ready, wherever you are today, let me give you two reminders for the week to come. On Good Friday, this coming Friday, you will find a message on our website or our Facebook page of Clifford Baptist Church for Good Friday. I would invite you to that. And then also, on Easter Sunday morning, there's going to be a sunrise service, those two places, Facebook page and the website, just to lead our hearts. If you'd like to join about 7 o'clock in the morning, there will be an Easter sunrise service message posted for everyone to join together in worship. But we know as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together today that we especially recognize on this Palm Sunday what Jesus did for us on the old rugged cross. I want to take you to Luke chapter 22. Listen to these words, verses 14 and 15. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He institutes the Lord's Supper in these moments. Let me take you back to the Old Testament. If you remember, they are sharing together the Passover meal. And from that old Passover meal comes the Lord's Supper. The first Passover meal was celebrated by Israel in Egypt as they were getting ready to leave their slavery there. And God says, as the last plague upon, uh, upon Egypt, I'm going to send through the death angel and all of the firstborn males, both of the human population and even of the animal population, will die. But Israel, you are to paint your doorposts and your lintel with the blood of a lamb. And when I see that blood, the death angel will pass over you and you will be spared. I remind you today, believers, brothers and sisters, that we're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And in this day and this pandemic that we're facing, we know that our nation is living, our world is living in fear. But through this time, we depend on our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, to cover us, to protect us, to lead us through these days. So in a special way today, as we take the Lord's Supper, I pray that we will think about His protection in these challenging days in our nation and in our world. And the Lord is not simply protecting us in order that we as believers are given safety when everyone else suffers, but rather He's protecting us and He's sparing us and He's using us that we will continue to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. My prayer is as we take the Lord's Supper together that we will be reminded that every day we are to be His witness. Even when the church is different, the pews are empty today, but I know our church is full because you're with us. But every day that we live, my prayer, no matter what the circumstances might bring, is that we will be His messenger, His servant. As we prepare to take the bread, I take you to verse 19 of Luke 22. And He took bread, 
and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them saying this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me as Jesus took bread he broke it and he said this is my body this is the representative of my body broken on the old rugged cross for you now scripture teaches us that a bone was never broken in Jesus to fulfill the Old Testament word oh but his body was broken it was broken by the lashing it was broken by the spikes it was broken by the by the people who surrounded him and spat on him and cursed him it was broken in so many ways today this broken bread reminds us of the gift of Jesus Christ on the old rugged cross so I'd like you to take this piece of bread in your hand my brothers join me here our media team joins me here and as we consider this bite of bread we say Lord thank you that your body was broken for me personally for me as I eat this bite of bread I'm reminded that Jesus went to the cross that I might have forgiveness and eternal life may we eat all of it let us pray Father God thank you for a broken body Lord without that Lord I'm not worthy Lord, thank you, Lord, that today that we remember that you love us. We remember, Lord, that you gave your life for us. And in turn, Lord, you would have us to do the same for you. So I pray, Lord, that we hear the message, I love you, as it rings from the cross. But, Father, I pray that we would take that same message of a Savior that was broken and loves the world to those who need it the most. Help us to do so, Lord. Thank you for giving of yourself for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In that same Passover meal, Jesus raises up the cup and he gives them a statement. Verse 20, chapter 2 of Luke, Jesus says, Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Let me give you just a little lesson of the Greek language. There are two words in the Greek language for shed. My blood shed for you. The first Greek word is ekeo. And it means blood that is shed unwillingly. The blood of an animal that is sacrificed unwillingly. The blood of someone who is shed because they're in a, a fight with another human being. Blood that is shed unwillingly is ekeo. But there's another word that is used in this passage. The word is ekuno. And it means blood that is shed willingly. Blood that is shed because it will help someone else. In this passage, Jesus said, My blood shed for you, that you might have forgiveness and everlasting life. Today, as we drink this cup together, we're realizing that God says to us, I love you. I love you for my, through my son who shed his blood willingly, laid down his life willingly, that you might have forgiveness and everlasting life. As we drink this cup, we're grateful to know that our God, through Jesus Christ the Lamb, shed his blood willingly, surrendered his life willingly, 
that we might have life everlasting. May we drink all of it. Pastor Clyde, would you lead us? Father God, I am deeply humbled every time I come to the table. You are the creator of everything. If I had been the only soul on this earth, you would still have willingly shed your blood for me to be saved so that I could live with you for eternity. Your blood is clearly the most priceless substance that has ever existed. And you paid so much just to get me to come to you, Lord. Thank you for that. Lord, none of us are worthy, but we are all grateful. We thank you for coming. We thank you for your willing sacrifice. And I praise you that your blood has cleansed me of all of my sin. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. God bless. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.